The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. 8474. Good morning. It's great to be with you all this morning and to feel the California sunshine on my face once again uh, this morning. Um, What a joy it is to be here uh, among friends. Uh, I've had the great privilege of getting to know many of your professors over the years and count them as uh, some of my dearest uh, friends. And a joy to be here. I want you to uh, ask you to please turn with me in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, as we consider uh, what it means to make disciples and how uh, to make disciples. Matthew, chapter 28, and beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here ends the reading of God's word. Will you pray with me? Our loving and merciful Heavenly Father, God of all grace and truth, we do ask that you would speak to us from your word this morning. We thank you for this glorious mission mandate, but more importantly, Lord, we thank you for the promises that bookend this mandate, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to your son, and he is building the church and All the armies of hell cannot stand against him. And we thank you that he will be with us always, even until the end of the age. And this, these two promises, they, they compel us to do mission with confidence and with love, with zeal, to make disciples of all nations. Lord, we pray that you would raise up men and women from this very seminary uh, to be engaged in this work for your glory. And we pray that this morning would be one small encouragement to continue in that direction. Lord, bless this seminary, bless the work that it's doing, bless the faculty, bless President Kim. Be glorified, Lord, through our time together this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak with you about discipleship and perhaps challenge some of the notions that you have had about discipleship uh, in your uh, Christian life. Lord's Day worship, Lord's Day worship is the grand theater of Christian discipleship. Lord's Day worship is the grand theater of Christian discipleship. It is the main context in which Christians are fashioned into mature disciples of Jesus Christ through the ordained means of grace. It has been so from the beginning. 
In our day, however, uh, the biblical focus, I'm contending that the biblical focus of uh, worship as discipleship seems to be lost among many of our churches, even within the Reformed tradition. The accent of disciple-making is often placed upon small groups and one-on-one discipleship and mentoring rather than on public worship and the means of grace. Uh, By no means uh, am I saying uh, in this time together this morning that these things aren't vital and important and necessary, but they are not the same thing exactly as what I'm speaking of this morning regarding discipleship. Many many believe that discipleship predominantly occurs in living rooms and in coffee shops and not in the sanctuaries of the assembled church. This, what I believe is an unbiblical notion, is more widespread than people realize. I think our churches need to rediscover and recover the biblical priority of Lord's Day worship as the primary realm of Christian discipleship. That's what I want to encourage you to think about this morning, of recovering Lord's Day worship as the primary realm of Christian uh, discipleship. Furthermore, we need to reclaim the biblical elements of public worship as those efficacious means to spiritual maturity. In other words, We must recover discipleship on God's terms. We must recover discipleship on God's terms. Uh, Before we explore the nature of worship as discipleship, I want to ask, what has gone wrong? Why, Why do we, when you ask, I believe, a typical even Reformed evangelical, what is discipleship? Why is it that our minds immediately go to the coffee shop or to the small group or to the one-on-one? Why is that? Uh, That's a question I uh, have been thinking about, and I think that it has to do with the significant shift that took place in the first half of the 20th century, uh, not only in the United States, but also in Great Britain. In response to the rising tide of theological liberalism within the mainline denominations, both in Britain and in America, we began to see parachurch organizations sprouting up uh, all over uh, the West. Uh, It was a response uh, to the churches who were failing the people, as it were, uh, in discipleship. Uh, Understandably, Bible-believing Christians lost confidence in the church, so they began looking elsewhere for spiritual direction. They found in evangelical parachurch organizations, such as the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, Christianity uh, Today, Christian Student Union, and a host of others, Uh, They found within these a place in order to grow. These parachurch organizations, they rightly emphasized a a high view of Scripture. Uh, They rightly emphasized the importance of uh, doctrine of conversion, as well as lifelong spiritual growth and discipleship. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, Christian discipleship was repeatedly being presented as only loosely connected to the worship and ministry of the local church. And I'm quoting one of your professors here, Mike Horton. It's the idea that, quote, real disciples are formed not in the theater of ordinary word and sacrament ministry and the care of the elders and deacons, but in the parachurch enclaves for super spirituality. 
Now, a prime example of this is in the navigators. Now, as I bring this up, I have known many navigators over uh, the years who are wonderful, who are doing great work. In fact, I was sitting with someone yesterday or two days ago, a PCA minister who used to be in navigators, who actually made the very point I'm about to make as he wanted to move out of navigators and into the ministry of the local church. The navigators, this well-known and influential parachurch organization, that has specialized in, quote, what they call life-on-life discipleship since 1933. Interestingly, in the about section of their website, not one word is mentioned about the church. This is the gold standard discipleship organization, which, again, does many good things. Praise the Lord for the way he has used the navigators over the years, and yet not one word in the about section about the doctrine or about the uh, the church moreover in the statement of faith core values and vision statement they give no meaningful attention to the ministry of the church or the means of grace someone reading this site could easily be led to conclude that the church has very little if anything to do with christian discipleship it's no wonder then why so many evangelicals do not make lord's day public worship a priority as they conceive of the Christian life and their own personal piety and also uh, the corporate piety of the people of God. To rightly understand Lord's Day worship as discipleship, we must first recognize what public worship is not. Public worship is not a crusade meeting. It's not a crusade meeting. Neither is it a time for sanctified entertainment to showcase the talents of the pastors and uh, the members and the musicians and the singers and the perhaps dancers or actors. Nor is public worship an informal church fellowship meeting to energize the flock and to let them know about all the programs that are going on in the life of the church. While sadly these emphases have become all too familiar in worship services today, nowhere in scripture does divine worship exemplify these kinds of characteristics. No, God's word teaches something very different. Biblical worship is a sacred meeting between God and his covenant people. There are others who will come to be a part, perhaps, and to see this meeting taking place. But biblical worship, properly understood, is a meeting between God and his covenant people, the visible church. It's where Christ, through his word and spirit, matures his disciples. It's where he matures his disciples. In other words, worship is the sacred context wherein the ascended Christ himself, by his spirit and word, informs, feeds, comforts, disciplines, disciples, and fortifies the faith of his flock through the ordinary means of grace. God is not just present with us in public worship. He is active among us in public worship. Just a few days ago, I was given a title to lecture on at a particular thing later this year. And my topic is, what is Jesus doing in the worship of the church? I I about jumped up with excitement when I got this assignment. Uh, What is Jesus doing in the life of his church, in the worship of the church? What is he doing? He's active. He's he's discipling his people. 
He's comforting us. He's nourishing us. He's strengthening us. He's doing this all through the means that he himself has ordained for the blessing and nourishment of the church. Therefore, Lord's Day worship is intended to be no less than the salvific inbreaking of the greater eternal realities of the kingdom of God into the lesser temporal realities of the kingdom of man. As we gather together on the holy day that the Lord himself has ordained and God's holy people gather before the holy God with his holy means of grace, then eternity is breaking into time in a mysterious and a glorious way. So there's this kind of concentrated discipleship that's taking place in the midst of God's presence with his people. It's glorious. It's the workshop of the Holy Spirit. It's not just another meeting of the church. It's where disciples are made. It's where disciples are made. It's one reason why I contend uh, uh, for evening worship. Uh, why, why do churches no longer have evening worship? Why well, I believe it's because some of these very emphases have been lost on the church. Um, since Lord's Day worship is the primary activity of the church and essential to Christian discipleship, it's also important to mention that it should be led by the minister. Indeed, God's ministers are, as it says in 1 Corinthians 4.1, servants of Christ and servants of the mysteries of God. Servants of Christ and servants of the mysteries of God. They have been called, we have been called by God and set apart by the church to lead and feed and disciple God's people. Let's go back to the, to the, the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like an ongoing expository ministry. It sounds like disciples are being made, adults being uh, converted and coming into the church, children being born into the church, being baptized and growing up and being confirmed. It sounds like a pastor who's teaching the whole counsel of God. Paul said, I did not shrink back from preaching to you the whole counsel of God. It sounds like the sacraments are being regularly administered as we see in Acts 2.42. Uh, this is what is, is happening in public worship through God's ministers. They've been called by God and set apart by the church to lead, feed, and disciple God's people. Therefore, handing over the leadership of public worship to lay people necessarily undermines the function and priority of worship as discipleship. After his glorious resurrection, shortly before ascending into heaven, Jesus declared to his apostles, as we read earlier, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Notice that Jesus clearly states both the mandate and the means for the church's mission. The mandate, of course, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. The means or tools for fulfilling the mission are the word and the sacraments. The spirit-filled apostles carried out Christ's mission in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They went forth boldly. I'm preaching right now through the book of Acts uh, to our congregation in Charleston, and it has been extraordinary. I've, I've taught through uh, Acts. Actually, I've taught through Acts two times using Dennis Johnson's wonderful Let's Study series commentary, uh, which if you don't have that book, you need to repent and buy it and read it. Uh, it is fantastic. And uh, I feel sorry for you that you've come in when Dennis has left because he's, he's wonderful. Um, but uh, 
this, the, the constant refrain in Acts that I've been reminded of week after week while uh, carefully working through the text and, and preaching the text is the extraordinary confidence that the apostles have in the means of grace, in the preaching of the word of God. They, they could have been doing so many other things, and yet they, they just keep bringing the word. They keep boldly preaching Christ from the Old Testament. They keep bringing the good news. That's this wonderful phrase we see over and over again. We are bringing you the good news. And how do they bring the good news? They bring it by preaching Christ from the promises of the Old Testament. And what do they do when they go on to the next town? They preach Christ again uh, from the word uh, of God. Uh, what did uh, Stephen do in Acts 7? He preached Christ from the Old Testament. Paul in Acts 13 preaches Christ from the Old Testament. There's this kind of uncommon otherworldly confidence to use that which Christ gave to them for the, uh, the saving of God's elect that is, it seems, uh, a bit um, lacking uh, in our circles at times. We must have confidence in the word of God, and we must trust God with uh, the fruits of those labors. They went forth boldly into all nations, proclaiming the gospel, making new disciples, and planting new churches constituted of believers and their children. And then these, these churches, uh, uh, we know that elders were appointed, and then um, these elders were committed, they were dedicated to making lifelong disciples uh, of their members through the ordinary means of grace. And so this gathered worship of the church, this weekly cadence where they were exhorted to not forsake the gathering together because in this sacred context, uh, in this workshop of the Holy Spirit, God is working mightily uh, in our midst through the cadence of word, sacraments, and prayer ministry on the Lord's Day. As the means of grace are faithfully set forth week after week in public worship and God's special presence is manifested among his covenant people, God is actively discipling his people. The making of disciples and fulfillment of the Great Commission, therefore, is not just something that happens out there. The Great Commission is not something that just happens out there. It happens in our midst. And as we are faithful to carry out the Great Commission, making disciples in our churches and where you may uh, pastor uh, in future churches, you're making disciples there. That is where healthy and mature disciples then are raised up and sent out to then carry on the work of the church, the mission of the church, planting churches, preaching the gospel, reaching out. It's not just something that happens among the aborigines in the outback or amidst the citizens of Madagascar. It happens right in your church, right where you are. Lord's Day worship is also lifelong discipleship, a holy anvil of sanctifying grace from the font to the grave. I met uh, a couple in a little country church in South Carolina one time, and they uh, I was asking them some questions about themselves, and they said, uh, they were in their 80s, they said, uh, we, we were both baptized in this church, we were both confirmed in this church. They were farmers out in, in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina. Uh, beautiful people, beautiful church. They said, we were born in this church, baptized in this church, confirmed in this church, we got married in this church, 
and they said, and we've already got our plots picked out right, out, right outside the church there. And it was a beautiful picture of discipleship from the cradle to the grave, and that is the work of the church. And sometimes we get so caught up in the hype of kind of celebrity-driven evangelicalism that we forget about the ordinary, beautifully ordinary work of the pastor. So I'll ask you, dear friend, uh, who's studying here, perhaps you're studying uh, to uh, get your MDiv and you believe God's calling you to ministry, what is a successful ministry in your eyes? What's a successful ministry? Because the successful ministry that God says is a successful ministry is laboring in this way to make disciples as a pastor, teaching all that Christ commanded to your flock, carrying out the Lord's Day worship in a manner that brings honor and glory to God. Parachurch organizations may and often do provide helpful avenues and resources for Christian discipleship. Even so, they should never be adopted as a substitute for the ministry and worship of the local church. Moreover, small groups and one-on-one mentoring are vital. They're beneficial, but they should always be viewed as an extension of the discipleship that takes place in the context of the local church and its worship. The church and the means of grace are God's idea. So to question them or to replace them is to question the very wisdom of God. How then should biblical worship, uh, should the biblical concept rather of worship as discipleship impact our approach to Lord's Day worship? First, pastors ought to take great care in how they put together the service. They have to take great care with the liturgy. Too often in our reform circles, preaching is held up so high, and it should be held up so high, but it's held up so high to the exclusion of understanding how the rest of the service is very important for shaping our Christian identity, for helping us to understand how we are to approach God. And so we should take great care with the entire service, with each element from the call of worship to the benediction. Secondly, church members ought to diligently and joyfully attend Lord's Day services. To neglect worship is to neglect discipleship. Public worship is not optional. It's a non-negotiable for every serious believer. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews chapter 13. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Beloved, Lord's Day worship is an oasis of grace for Christian pilgrims who are traveling along the way, who are getting dinged and cut as they make their way, as we make our way from the wilderness and into the promised land. Therefore, take advantage of all the spiritual blessings and benefits that God offers to you through his unadorned, ordinary means of word, sacraments, and prayer. Attend worship with eager and joyful expectation, believing that Christ does indeed mature his people in this glorious, sacred context. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this brief time uh, to consider what may be a fairly new concept uh, of worship as 
uh, discipleship. And Lord, as we hear the words of the Great Commission, Lord, we are told to go out and to make disciples. Uh, We are told uh, to do that. And yet, Lord, we don't want to lose the fact that discipleship is lifelong. It must have a beginning. Therefore, we must go out and seek to reach the nations, uh, the unreached. Uh, But then, Lord, uh, to see discipleship not merely as uh, leading someone to conversion, but uh, to disciple them their whole lives long and their children for your glory. Lord, bless these dear students. Bless this faculty. Pour out your spirit, Lord, afresh and anew upon this wonderful, faithful work. And be glorified as we understand worship as discipleship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.